Well, good evening. Oh, wow, y'all talk. Uh, <laughs> uh, for those of you who know me, I'm sorry. Uh, but for those of you who don't, uh, Joe said it. My name is Michael Randall. I am the life pastor here at the church. Um, I'm so glad to be speaking to y'all. Uh, it's funny, I actually grew up here in this church. I went to all throughout high school here. I also went uh, through all of my college years here, and, and I did. I interned for a year and a half here at the church. Uh, I loved it. I learned a lot. I still have a lot to learn about ministry, and I, I will not kid about that. There is a lot to learn in that field. Dr. Burroughs, when he mentioned that I was going to be speaking on a Wednesday night, he said, you're going to speak, you're going to get with Joe, and find something you're passionate about. And so I... I was struggling with thinking about where exactly I wanted to talk from because there's, there's so many good things in Scripture to, to just talk about. I mean, if, if you were in that position, what would, you, what would you speak on? You know, for me, I was struggling with, do, do I do the thief on the cross? Do I talk about how it's only Jesus that saves you? Uh, I thought about maybe going to the Old Testament and talking about, you know, King Manasseh and how he repented of his sin. Uh, what about John 1.1, you know, uh, and how Jesus is God? Uh, I'm also a big fan of Philippians, Philippians 1, where it talks about how Paul is in chains. He's in prison because of the gospel. And he knows that people know he's in prison because of the gospel, and he's completely satisfied in Christ because of it. So I was absolutely struggling with where to start from. And uh, I also thought about the Beatitudes. But uh, for those of you who don't know, Dr. Burroughs did his doctoral work on the Beatitudes, and I don't want to miss something out important in those. <laughs> so I figured let's not do that one. Uh, and yes, this is my first time speaking to y'all since I was an intern. Um, I am super excited. I'm a, I, I will admit you probably noticed that Joe's over here with notes, Dr. Burroughs is as well in the back, and uh, just don't look at him, you know, he's, he's just looking... Okay, why are you laughing? That scares me. All right. <laughs> uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be in verses 1 through 10. Uh, the reason I wanted to talk about this is because it's a, essential to us in understanding the reality of who we are now as believers in Jesus. That, that is essential, and, and that's, what, uh, that's what we're going to get at with Ephesians 2. The main thing I want you to take away from this is that God saves us because he loves us, and he does this through Jesus. That's, that's why he saves us. So a little bit of background about the book of Ephesians. Paul was writing the book while he was in prison. He was writing to the church, and he writes about how he misses them and how he has heard about them and how he is thankful for them, and... He is also writing because they are also new believers, and so he's writing about how their life is going to change from what they used to be to what they are now. And in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, just a little bit of a recap before we get into 2, Paul is talking, he's first giving a greeting, he's, he's giving an introduction, he's identifying exactly who he is. He's talking about how the believers, those who believe in Jesus, were chosen by that. Christ is the head. He is the, he is the head of all authority, and he is head of the church. And so Paul ends chapter 1 with that in mind, and he immediately goes into chapter 2, and he switches his conversation 
to now specifically address the people of Ephesus. He's going to talk to them specifically, and this is what he says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Like I said, he's, he's talking to them directly. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So we're going to go through this slowly but surely. The first thing that I want to look at, uh, so I'm also in seminary right now, and I'm learning Greek next semester. And so I'm, I'm trying to get ahead of the curve. Uh, probably not well, but I'm trying to get ahead of the curve. And I'm trying to learn Greek. And the word for dead there, I learned this. This is super, super cool. The Greek word for dead, get this, is the word dead. I mean, it's, it's literally the word dead. There's nothing special to it. It, it is dead. It, it has no other meaning, no other description. It literally means something that is dead. So we... You and I, the people of Ephesus, were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. The word for walk there, it, it, it's the way we used to live. This is the way that we were. This is the way we behaved, the way we acted. This is how we walked. We walked our lives this way. Metaphorically, uh, this is a Jewish metaphor that Paul is taking to Greek. And, and in my mind... You know, I, I, growing up in this culture, the first thing that comes to mind, especially when we talk about like a, a walking dead person or a living dead person, is something like a zombie. Uh, it's the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, these, these people that are walking around, they're, they're dead, they're, you know, kind of limping and like growling and looking for something to eat. That's not quite the metaphor Paul is looking for here. These people... Uh, who we once were, you and I, we were dead and we walked in a certain way, but we still have emotions. We still have feelings. Some of us, not me, some of us are intelligent. So there, there are some people that are just so bright. There are some people that can feel emotion and express emotion in such ways that's what he's talking about. Zombies, zombies don't do that. Zombies don't have brain power. They don't have emotions, at least the way we imagine zombies. That's not the way Paul imagines it. These are people that can walk around. They live their life. They laugh. They cry. They party. They, I know we're Baptists. They dance. They do all these things. Um, that's, that's what he's describing here. Also, the word dead, like I said, is dead. It's not mostly dead. It's not partially dead. A movie that I, a very old movie that I absolutely love called The Princess Bride. It is, I'm sorry, it's old. It came out 10 years before I was born. It's old. It's an old movie, but I love The Princess Bride because it's a great movie. Miracle Max, they, they bring the main character. He meets Miracle, well, he's, he's kind of unconscious, but he comes to Miracle Max, and Miracle Max is trying to see what he can do to revive him, and he he goes, ah, he's mostly dead. We can bring him back because he's mostly dead. No, no, these are people that are dead. But what they're dead in is spiritually dead. They, they, they do not have the spirit of God within them. That's what's missing. That's the part of them that's dead. 
Now, these people were following the course of this world. They were following in the culture. They were doing what the world says to do. And they were following the prince of the power of the air. Uh, to us, that, that seems really weird. But within that context, within that day, it was understood that the air, the air above us, was where uh, demonic forces ruled. And that the heavenly place was where the, was where the angelic creatures were. So that's what he's talking about. They're following demonic forces and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So this prince of the power of the air is the spirit that's in work in these sons of disobedience. Now these, these sons of disobedience, they're not like bad children that are disobedient. They're, they're not sons of disobedience. They're products of disobedience. They're disobedient sons. Look what Paul says in three, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, and he says it again, children of wrath, sons of disobedience and children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This is what we were. This is, this is what we used to be. We used to be sons of disobedience. We used to be children of wrath. And again, these children of wrath are not Children that are, you know, wrathful, these are children who are going to inherit wrath. That's what's being described here. And that's what we once were. It's quite, it's quite descriptive. It's quite depressing. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, that's, that's sad. But Paul refers to us as, that's how we once were. This is how we once were. This is how we used to be. You see, God saves us from being spiritually dead. That's, that's, that's probably the other thing I want you to take away is that God saves us from being spiritually dead. We are, we are no longer this person that just around doing the things that the world tells us to do. We now have the Spirit of God within us. That's what we are now. Let's go to the next verse. So before we begin horribly funny story for y'all. Uh, the first word in this verse, uh, I, I wasn't preaching this passage. I was preaching another passage. Uh, when I, I, I used to live in Washington, I lived in uh, Port Orchard, which is right by Puget Sound for about two years. The church that I was up there, I was preaching to the youth because they asked me to. And uh, that word popped up in the verse I was talking about. And I was trying to make a point of this is how we once were, but this is how we are now, or how there's a change, a sudden change. And I told the youth, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just funny to me, because I said, uh, whenever you see a big butt, it changes everything. <laughs> I said this to a bunch of high schoolers, <laughs> and I never heard the end of it. They started laughing, and they laughed for five minutes and never stopped. And the youth pastor came up to me afterwards. He's like, you know, I'm the, you know, every time there's a button scripture and I'll think of you. <laughs> Thanks, Matthew. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. That was almost bad. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us 
in Christ Jesus. So again, the but changes everything, right? But God, who is rich in mercy, right? What, what Mercy. You know, that's one of those words that we just, we use in church and, you know, uh, use outside of church. But mercy is compassion, right? God is rich in compassion for us. He's rich in mercy for us. Why? Because of the great love with which he loves us. He loves us so much. Look at verse 5. He loves us so much that even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were, for lack of a better term, dead zombies, he made us alive together with Christ. We were dead. We were these, we were rebels. We did exactly the stuff that God told us not to do. And yet he loved us so much that he saves us and he makes us alive together with Christ. What happens is when Christ on the cross, my sin goes to the cross and Christ pays the punishment for my sin on that cross and, as a, and in return, his righteousness comes to me. That's what happens here when we are made alive together with Christ. But we're no longer dead. Now we're alive. And then Paul makes this slight comment in verse 5. By grace you have been saved. Now he makes this slight comment. And then he's going to come back a little bit later. And he's going to restate it. Okay? So by grace. Well, grace is another term that we, outside of, outside of the church, we just, we don't use. Except if you have a friend like mine. I had a coworker whose name was Grace. And I used it all the time. Uh, <laughs> By grace. So grace, the Greek word for grace is hadis. And I probably pronounced that wrong, and I'm sure they're going to write that down. Uh, <laughs> by grace you've been saved. Another term for grace is undeserved favor. That's what it means. Some people treat grace as though it's this coin or some spiritual token that you can acquire and put in some form of bank. And then when you get to dash it back out, that is not the concept of grace. Grace is a state. Do you have the undeserved favor or not? And the undeserved favor of God is what saves you. That's what that says. You have been made alive together with Christ. By God's undeserved favor, you have been saved. And then he continues with his original statement. And we have been raised. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Coming ages, he measurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. He, he raises us up with him and seats us with him. You want to talk about love? Not only did God save us when we were rebels and dead zombies and we weren't doing the things he wanted, not only did he do that, but he also raises us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. It's so intense. There is a love there that we cannot just describe fully with words. Big time. So when he raises him and seats us with him in those heavenly places, this does not mean that we are seated with him in heaven right this moment. We will be one day, but we're not there yet. Obviously, if you've lived in this world, you'll know what I mean. But what it also means is that we are no longer under... The, the power of the prince of the air, and instead now we are under the heavenly places. We are now under God. 
We have, we have literally swapped sides. We have changed positions. We're no longer dead zombies, and now we're living under God. We've, we've changed. But why does he do that? We talk about love, but why? Verse 7, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his, again, undeserved favor in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Again, grace is not something that, is, that you can hold. It's not something that you can cash in or cash out. It's not something that you, you do any of that with. It's immeasurable how much, how much riches of this favor and kindness God has for us. It's immeasurable, and it's for us. That's the kind of love God has for us. So you see the next thing I want you to see right here is that God saves us so that we can be with him. He saves us so that we can have a relationship with him. We can be with him forever. And he does not do it for his benefit, but for ours. That's some serious love right there. I, I cannot explain it to the fullest extent. I, I, I couldn't even try. But that's some serious love. So now Paul's going to go back to, remember that verse I was talking about where he kind of makes the side note, by grace you have been saved. He's now going to go and he's going to explain it more. So verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Well, before we go any farther, let's look at this because, again, for by undeserved favor of God you have been saved through faith. It is God's undeserved favor for you that saves you, but it's through faith. Well, faith is also, unless you have a friend named Faith, we may also not use it all that much outside. It's trust. But what are you trusting in is the question. And Paul's going to explain that a little bit more, but I'm going to make it easy. Do you trust in the death and resurrection of Christ? Do you trust in that to save you? That is the only thing that saves you. Some people, like I said, try to collect. People also try to earn grace. People just try. And sometimes we just do it inherently. We don't even think about it, right? But that doesn't make sense. Imagine trying to earn undeserving favor. If you could earn favor that is undeserving, it would be deserved. That's not what undeserving favor is. And Paul's going to expound on that a little bit more. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works. It is the gift of God. So your grace, the undeserved favor of God that you have, your faith, your trust in Jesus, those are the things that save you. And both of those are a gift of God. That's what that says right there. This is not your own doing. Your salvation is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. That's what's being said here. And it's not a result of works. Now, this is not saying, this is not referring back to any Old Testament laws. That's not what this is going back to. This is actually talking about people trying to earn their salvation, trying to earn their favor. You cannot do that. It's not a result of works. People try. People try all the time. People, people try to say, hey, let's come to church. Let's sit. We'll listen to, you know, some, I don't know why y'all here listen to me, but, you know, listen to some guy preach 
maybe listen to a few songs and they think, oh, well, that will give me enough favor with God. But again, his favor is undeserving. You can't deserve, you, you can't earn it. We're not, we're not supposed to earn it. We don't come to church to earn the favor. And Paul concludes, and he kind of explains why. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Paul is identifying instead of, excuse me, instead of our works being the thing that saves us, they're actually the afterthought. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. After we have been saved, we are a new creation. We have been made alive with Christ. And one of the things is for good works. Good works do not earn you anything. They don't get you anywhere. Not with God. They're, they're a product of your salvation. They are not the cause of your salvation. But real quick, I want to back up a little bit. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. Let's read it one more time. For by God's undeserving favor, you, you and I, have been saved through trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. See, the important thing I want you to take away from this is that God saving you God saving me, God saving us is a gift. It's a gift. It's not, there, there is nothing more to it in terms of you cannot earn it. You cannot work for it. It is a gift. The question is, how do you respond to that gift? Do you trust or do you not trust? Do you have faith? Do you not have faith? There, there's not a question of how much grace did you get, not how much faith did you have. Do you have it or, or, or not? That's the question. In terms of talking about undeserving favor, you know, we talk about that a lot. And, you know, talking about grace, a great example of undeserving favor for me. Uh, when I was in college, I moved out of my mom. I, I lived with a buddy of mine for a while. That didn't work out. So I went and I lived with my cousin and her two-year-old daughter. And I love that little girl, but they call them terrible twos for a reason. I'm sure most of y'all know. They're crazy. And my little niece, I call her my niece, even though she's not. She's my cousin, but she's two. Uh, my niece did absolutely nothing to earn the love of my cousin. She didn't. My cousin already has favor for her because... She loves her. That's the main thing to take away uh, for me is that we don't earn or deserve our salvation. It's given to us as a gift because God loves us that much. You see, going back to the main thing I said way, way, way at the beginning, God saves us because he loves us. And he does this through Jesus. That 
if, if there is anything, anything at all that you take away tonight, it's that. God saves us that much. Or God loves us that much. I said God saves us that much. He loves us that much, but he also saves us that much. He loves us that much that he sends his son to die on a cross for us. And then, not only does he make us alive with his son when he resurrects, but he also wants a relationship with us. He wants us to know him. That's some serious love. So the takeaway question I have for you is, has God saved you through Jesus? Now, I realize that question has a lot to it. And let me say, there is only one way to be saved, and that is through Jesus. So has God saved you through Jesus? Or do you think you're doing it some other way? Because you're not. It's only through Jesus. So as, as we finish here tonight, I, I don't know where you are in life. I don't know everything that's going on with you, uh, with each and every one of you. Um, maybe you've come to realize that you've been trying to do this all on your own. Uh, maybe you're trying to earn it. Maybe you're, maybe you're trying to earn that undeserving favor of God. And you're realizing that it doesn't work that way. Maybe you're realizing that, you know, you're still, you never believed, you've never even heard the name of Jesus. And maybe you realize that you're still part of this walking dead, this living dead. I, I, don't, I don't know where you are. Or maybe, maybe you're thinking of a friend that thinks they're earning their way. And do you realize that you have the one message that will save them? The one message across all of space and time. If there is one thing that will matter in each of our lives, it is this. Do you believe in Jesus? So I'm going to pray. We'll get out of here because I don't have anything more. Lord, we come before you. Thank you so much for each and every one of these people and that they were um, here tonight, Lord. I don't know where everyone is. I don't know what's going on in their lives, Lord, but you do. And I'd ask that you would uh, speak into each and every one of their lives, Lord, and impact them in some way. And no matter what, Lord, that we come to know your son and that through everything we do, we bring honor and glory to your name. For your sake we pray. Amen.